Well, hey there. Welcome to this episode of Uncommon Conversations, where we talk to community leaders about how they build and support their communities to deepen relationships, build better products, and drive business impact. I'm Rebecca, the head of Common Room's Uncommon Community, and I'm super glad you're here. Learn more about the Uncommon Community at commonroom.io slash uncommon, or accept this cordial invitation to join me and more than 1,000 other community builders in the Uncommon Community Slack. And if you're looking for the best way to help activate and grow your community, get started with Common Room for free today at commonroom.io. I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to another Uncommon Conversation. I am your host, Rebecca Marshburn, and today our featured expert is Lenny Richitsky, creator and author of Lenny's Newsletter, which has more than 70,000 subscribers. Um, he's also an advisor, an investor, an explorer. I can definitely vouch for that. A community builder and inspiration, and he's a capital F friend. So I'm super excited to begin. Hey, Lenny, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for that uh, very kind intro. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, man. Um, as I told you before, I'm like sort of blushing like the most nervous I've been because I'm just so excited to talk to you. So um, for a little context and background, you and I have known each other for a super long time now. Uh, we started at Airbnb right around the same time when your company, Local Mind, uh, I think it was your first startup. Yeah, first, first and only if you don't count the newsletter that I do now. Oh, right. Um, so when that was acquired and the company I worked for, Nabewise, started by the illustrious Anne Montgomery, who we both know and love, was acquired as well. Um, so you astound me in your ability to pursue stretch goals um, and then achieve them. So before we dive into Lenny's newsletter and its community um, and everything that goes along with it, will you tell us a bit about yourself, where are you based, what's your day job, and what's your favorite thing about you, about what you do today? Absolutely. First, let me just uh, thank you for that very, very, very generous introduction. I've never had such a loving and thankful intro to a chat like this. So I really appreciate that. Well, you deserve it. So they best be up in their game. <laughs> I'm going to hold the next next talk accountable. <laughs> okay. So your question was, what, uh, so I'm based in, in Marin now, um, Bay Area. I used to live in San Francisco, now live in the North Bay of Marin, which is a quite a beautiful area. Uh, I forget the other question, but I think one of your part of the question was just what's my day job. And yeah. it's very unusual. It's basically this newsletter. That's like half my time now and then angel investing. Uh, and they help each other in really interesting ways. And that's basically my job now. And uh, I honestly don't think I can get a regular product or growth job anymore because People think I have all the answers with this newsletter because I'm answering people's questions every week. So I think the bar has gotten way too high for what people think I'm capable of. So I don't think I'd ever be successful at an actual company again. Um, and oh yeah, and the favorite thing that I, the favorite part about what I do, I'd say basically this newsletter gives me an excuse to just learn things that I don't already know and synthesize them and share them. Plus there's just so much fulfillment in sharing with other people and helping people get better at their work, helping them build their business, their communities and things like that. So it's just like win-win of learn, getting to learn about stuff and then sharing that learning with other people and the fulfillment that comes from that. So it's pretty extraordinary, very lucky. So being able to learn and share that duality um, through Lenny's newsletter, and I'm sure then also through angel investing, right? That's partially what you're doing. You're like helping people understand how to build and grow their business and then like making them successful. but. 
What inspired it from the beginning? Did you know that that was going to be the thing that stuck with you every day or like, how, yeah, how did it, how did it start? It was not even like a glimmer in my uh, eye, if that's a phrase, uh, when I left Airbnb or any time before that. This was a very unexpected path. And the way it happened is I left Airbnb about two and a half years ago now. And I started to, I was planning to start a company. I had a big spreadsheet of ideas that I was kind of working through and exploring them one by one, right? like sorting them by which one's most likely to succeed and which one I'm most excited about and things like that. And so in parallel to that, I started writing down things that I'd learned over my time at Airbnb and at other places so that when I start this new company, I, I don't have to start from scratch and I can build on the learnings of this last experience. And so that turned into a Medium post, which I just found like, hey, this is useful to me. Maybe it'll be useful to other people. That just did incredibly well, much better than I ever imagined. It was um, featured by Medium. It went on their homepage. The founder of Airbnb sent it to the entire company because he was so proud of what I wrote, about my experience there. And so it just showed me that, hey, maybe there's something here. Maybe I have wisdom to share about my experience. And so I just kind of kept doing that, kept going well. And then there was this point where I kept struggling. I, I keep spending time on writing. Maybe I should... Like I, like, I really want to start a company, I think. Maybe I should stop the writing and focus on that because it's sucking up all my time. And there was this kind of point where I had to chat with a friend who pointed out to me, okay, you like this writing thing. People seem to really value it. Uh, it's rare to find something people value that you enjoy. So maybe you should just stick with that and see where that goes, even if there's no future there. And maybe put the startup stuff on pause. And so that's what I did. And I decided to commit to a newsletter that went out every week. And nine months later, I decided to start charging for it because I kept growing. And now we're here and continues to grow. Wow. Okay. So maybe this next question, I was like excited to see if there were certain challenges, but I'm wondering if maybe the, the initial challenge was just the hurdle of saying, yes, I'm going to give myself permission to do this. But was there ever a moment where you were like, oh gosh, heck, this isn't going to be a thing or it's not a sustainable thing. And um, how did you how did you over, overcome it? Do you have any like advice for folks who are maybe hitting like a butting up to that challenge? I'd say it's like I'd flip that and most of the time I didn't think it was going to work. It was just, this just feels interesting and maybe it'll turn into something. So let me just continue down this road. I was fortunate to have savings that I kind of budgeted for a year after leaving my, my job. And so I kind of had this time, which a lot of people don't have. I was really lucky to have that. And I tried to maximize that time by focusing on things that maybe wouldn't lead to a new job because I knew I could get another PM job if I really wanted to. So, so most of the time I had no idea this was going to work out and I didn't really think it would turn into a big opportunity, uh, financially especially. And, and basically it took me nine months of just doing it every week before I felt like, okay, I could actually probably do this for another few years at least, and people continue to find it valuable. So I guess my lesson there is just like, if you find something that you enjoy and other people find valuable, just see how long you can continue down that road to see if it turns into something that you may not expect. And then, yeah, I guess that's the main thing I, I take away. Just like, just give these things a chance because they may lead somewhere really profound. And just to give you a sense of how wild this road is, I make significantly more from this newsletter now than I made at Airbnb from this like very senior tech job. That is astounding. And I, I mean, then the most like, um, yeah, it is astounding. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's, 
that must mean that means like and we already know that so many of your subscribers like are huge fans and so then you're like okay i have something to learn and share and people have these questions and it's valuable so i'm going to keep doing it at that time did you plan on co-building a community of readers like was it going to be a community at that time or was it still like i have this knowledge so i'm going to share it so what when was the moment where you kind of realized like oh there's actually even like a whole complementary cohort of people that i can bring together I'd say the last thing I ever wanted was to like build and run a community. I'm, 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 I'm a big introvert and I don't want to be in front of large crowds. Like this is, I like this like intimate fireside chat style. And so uh, I had no desire to become the center of anything like that. Uh, and so the way it happened was I was launching the paid newsletter and I was going to charge $15 a month for this newsletter, which is 15 bucks a month uh, for four emails. Uh, which is more than Netflix and more than most things people pay for every month. And it just felt crazy. And so I thought about what else can I offer to hit this uh, price point that I think is the right price point. And so I just said, I'm going to launch a community and you're going to get access to a private community of only subscribers. And it's going to be great. So I just like pitched that as, as, as part of it. And, and then three months after I launched uh, the paid plan, I realized I had to do this. And so I decided just to I open, you know, I signed up for Slack and created a little community and then invited like 30 people in there. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure it was going to be great if I was to do it. And so I, I spent a lot of thought and time about like how to do this right and incubate it with the right kind of people and create the right kind of rituals and things. But, uh, but I really did not want to do this. I, I, I'd rather not uh, have more work to do. Like that's kind of a life goal right now is do less work than more work. But I will say it's uh, it's probably been the most fulfilling part of this whole journey is the community that has formed around this newsletter. Uh, it's unreal how much value people get out of it, how much value I get out of it. And it just leads to other really interesting opportunities. And so it's gone very well, surprisingly. Whoa. Okay. So there's two like threads I would love to pull there. One is about um, establishing like rituals or something that makes this place feel different than other places. Um, can you talk a little bit about those? I know a lot of people that listen to these have those same questions, right? Like now that I open this community, like how does it feel like a place they'd want to come back to? Um, what were some of those things that you established? So the main thing I found to be really important is not even rituals, but more just like detail orientedness around really small things that create a feeling like it's a high signal to noise. So I made sure from the beginning, everyone had a profile photo and it's, it's all in Slack, by the way. Um, so everyone has a profile photo as soon as they sign up. If they don't, I just bug them really quickly. Like, hey, make sure you upload a profile photo. Uh, it feels a lot more human if it is. And and everyone ends up doing that. Uh, I, I, I created one channel for self-promotion because I find people want to promote their shit in all these places and all these communities. And so I found like just funnel it into this one place and keep everything else really clean of self-promotion. So that's helped a lot. Uh, I make sure people use threads and it's not just like a bunch of messy random conversations. Um, I, if someone's like asking questions in a really like awkward way, I just kind of ping them and ask them to rephrase it. So I kind of just like stay on top of it and I stayed on top of it for the first six months, just like checking it constantly to make sure everything looked really high quality. And then now I actually have a community lead who helps me out because I just, I don't have time to spend all that time in the community. And so those little things that really did a, made, a, made a big difference, I think. Um, I'll also add, there's a really, I think, a powerful filter. Uh, so with the community, you only get access if you're a paid subscriber. And I think that filter of people that pay for content is really interesting and leads to 
people that want to engage and have interesting things to contribute versus everyone gets in. So I think it's important to have some kind of filter that uh, leads to kind of the kind of place people really want to participate in. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things about Common Room and Uncommon is that we see when once you have a community, it's not a single person job. It's not just a 20% job. Um, or if it is, like you could do that, but then the community is not does not have those guardrails or those things put in place where then it, it becomes something that doesn't feel like a place you want to return to. So that is like, anyway, thanks for, yeah. Where I was like, oh, you're a community leader and a community manager. It's like, thank goodness you have a community lead because you're probably going to need that. Um, Yep. getting bigger every day yeah um what i also loved about what you said is uh it sounds like even though it's not something that you were drawn to do you saw community as a differentiator like that was the thing that you were like okay this could be useful and helpful and there is a value on it in terms of asking people to be paid subscribers do you do you remember what that like thought process was being like yeah you know what the biggest differentiator is is my is community I didn't think of it as a differentiator, it was more, it actually came from, okay, there's like so many smart and much smarter than me people around this newsletter, like in the orbit of the newsletter. I feel like if I connect them with each other, they'll find value helping each other. And two, it'll take me out of having to have all the answers to all of people's questions. Because I don't, again, um, I don't like being the center of attention. And so I'd rather like, hey, go over here and other people can help you solve these problems because I'm not gonna have all the answers. So, so those are kind of the reasons that I felt like this was going to be a good idea. So I think that's a, a lesson also is if your product has kind of collected a bunch of really smart, interesting people, there's probably an opportunity to bring them together and often good things happen. The other thing I found is I had a very like clear group of people, which are product managers, growth leaders, and founders mostly. And so there's kind of a clear, uh, idea of what they're going to talk about and what they're going to come to the community for. I think there's a, it's important to have like a job to be done around the community. And so for this place, it's like, I have product questions, growth questions, startup questions, and then there's like a couple adjacencies. So I think that was really important. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Also, yeah, you're like, I can't carry the weight of the world on just my shoulders, but all together, we can answer those questions. And also, I'll add, I, I really like the idea of uh, promoting other voices that have really great advice. Um, and we can talk about, I have this like bonus newsletter that comes out of the best content in the community that now gets sent out to all the community members. And so I just like the idea of giving people a platform to surface their wisdom and maybe launch their own newsletters in the future. Yeah, wait, tell me about, tell us about this newsletter a little bit, please. So it came out of, a lot of these things emerge from just like things people highlight in, within the community of things they wish they had. So somebody said like, I can't keep up with all this stuff. There's too much going on. So what, can you just like have a summary of the week of like the best stuff that happened in the community? And so I, so I found someone to, uh, this uh, lady Kiani, to just go through the Slack every week. And she picks the best five threads and summarizes them into like a newsletter of its own. And then I send that out as a bonus newsletter to all the paid subscribers. We call it Community Wisdom. And it basically has people's question and then all the answers kind of like cleaned up and summarized. And then people's favorite links that they've kind of shared over the course of the week. And so that has solved so many problems. It's like, I can't keep up. Uh, also, it's just like all this amazing knowledge people are sharing that like I wouldn't have that is getting shared with the community. And it just kind of creates the self-perpetuating feedback loop of knowledge being shared and, and it's going really well. We're on our 50, 50th issue of that one. So it's been about a wow. year. Wow. 
Kiani, shout out to you, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. So it sounds like having this community did augment the way that you delivered your content. I mean, new content emerged from it. I'm wondering if there are other ways where having brought these people together has really changed the way you've thought about delivering or the way you built the way that you build your community now or the way that you answer or like address anything within the newsletter sphere. I kind of I kind of keep the I kind of don't engage deeply in the community itself because I don't want to become this like he has all the answers guy. So I yeah. kind of stay out of it as much as I can. I poke in here and there. And so I'd say the regular newsletter and the community wisdom are kind of independent and the questions for the newsletter by the way, the new, my newsletter is kind of a, an advice column. That's kind of the way I frame it. So people send me questions and I answer them. Yeah, um, I think you're the dear Abby of the PM yeah, world. That's right. That's right. Yeah, which was inspired by uh, Julie Zhu, who's a designer of Facebook that had an awesome newsletter, uh, more around design with the same style. And so, so I just get questions sent to me often. And that's where the topics for the newsletter come from. Super cool. Um, I'm going to change gears a little bit because I want to like get your thoughts around, even though you're a reluctant or maybe previously reluctant community leader, now that you've brought all these people together, essentially like you have brought them together. You are a host, um, which is not that surprising for someone who is a PM at Airbnb and we are always hosts. And so I'm wondering uh, as that, would, how would you describe the community space in general and like what I would say is an emerging space in terms of job function, like the community leader or the community manager. Um, but then, you know, you had this other thing that you were building for in terms of physical communities and, and Airbnb and like traveling communities. How do you think about community as a space? And then do you see that role function intersecting with the role of PM? Hmm. So actually at Airbnb, I was the head of the community product team. And our job was to build the host community and strengthen the host community itself. So, so I've been thinking about this stuff for a while. And then if you think about it, like community as a area to invest is not new in any way. Like, uh, like Flickr, I don't know, 20 years ago was a big community driven business. And then I think eBay comes to mind as very community driven for better or worse. So I don't think there's, it's a new thing. I think what's new recently is it's becoming a lever within like B2B businesses, especially, where people find that if you can build this kind of evangelized group around your product, there's a lot of opportunity there. So I think that's kind of an ongoing thing. I think the other issue with community and challenge in general is it's always like unclear what you get out of it. It's always this like you have to battle within a company to like convince them that it's worth investing in community. And the thing I find that actually that, that works is it only really works long-term if the founders really believe in the need and the value of building community around your product. Otherwise it kind of eventually, it's so hard to show ROI. It eventually kind of like goes through like valleys and I don't know, troughs and, and I don't know, mountains. You're like yeah, directional, good numbers, this kind of went this way. Right. When we thing. Yeah. Right. And then people are like, eh, forget, we're not going to invest in community for now. And then someone comes back, oh, let's do community stuff. And so I think I think it's important for the founder to really buy into the need for a community. Like at Airbnb, there was a community, huge community team of community managers in all the cities doing meetups and building our host community. And then like, what is the, what values is providing? There's like a big period of that. And so they all kind of went away and then later it came back. And I think that's kind of what happens at a lot of companies. So again, I think it's important that for the founders to really believe in the need for it to sustain at a company. Uh, I don't, I don't think it'll ever like 
merge with the product function. I think what I think is important is to, uh, if you have a community to uh, use it as a place to understand what problems your customers are having and what needs they have. I think it's dangerous to look at a community as a source of the solution to your problems. Uh, I think a lot of companies, eBay I think is an example where they listened too much to their community and they just kind of went off the rails a bit because I find rarely does a product end up being the, the, the best driven by just like a consensus amongst community. I think that doesn't often work out. Um, so I think it's important to think of community as a source of information, not a source of solutions and, and answers to your problems. Um, I don't know. Those are just thoughts. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great distinction, right? And I think that community, well, I'm going <laughs> to speak on behalf of communities everywhere, but me as a community member also probably don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to be the source of your solutions. I want to be like, maybe we co-create or you ask me and I give you feedback or critique about what how I would want to use this. But I'm hoping that the company that's building products for me is not like, what should we do? <laughs> <laughs> Just vote. Vote for me. Tell yeah, me yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's talk about the community of Lenny's newsletter. Um, do you have like specific ways you've told us a little bit about them, but when people are like, who are they? Like, how would you describe them? What connects them? What makes them most excited? So there, I'd say there's three kind of core groups, uh, product managers, growth leaders, PMs and engineers usually, uh, or marketing people, uh, and then founders I'd say is the core group. And then there's also engineers and designers and researchers and kind of people that work with these functions. And. I think I think I mentioned this earlier. There's this filter of like who who are the people that pay for content, like pay 15 bucks a month for a newsletter. It's people that want to get better and have a drive to improve, and so that's kind of the general vibe. Is people are just trying to get better at their job, and build better stuff and grow their business, that kind of thing. So it's a really interesting collection of humans. So on Substack, you've written too many, and I would also say never enough newsletters. I think you have more than 150. Um, I think 160 now. 160. And you recently responded to a reader's request uh, to help them navigate the Incredible Hulk uh, of this content that you share. And you categorize and grouped content. uh, And I I find that categorizing, going back through any content and then trying to like assign it to buckets or chapters or is like no small feat. And so I'm wondering what it was like to form, you ended up with nine categories. and so like, how did it one feel to like, was it natural to find those? And then how did it feel to revisit those posts overall after you've been like looking back to be like, oh wow, this is how far we've come. So you're talking about, I had this post called the best of Lenny's newsletter. The yeah. funny thing about that post, don't tell anyone is, uh, I didn't have a great idea for a topic that week. So I was just like, what if I do a best of, that'll be easier. <laughs> That's like how all sitcoms end up doing that too. And then it turns out, you know, people are like loving it. They're like, yeah, oh, it turned out to be one. Of, it turned <laughs> out to be one of my best posts. People loved it. <laughs> so it was a really good excuse just to like go back through the archive and group them by topic so that people are looking for marketplace strategy. They can find the best stuff. They're looking for sales stuff. They can find the best stuff. And so that was really cool. Uh, yeah, I think you asked if I would like to rewrite any of them. And yes, very much so. I look through them all and I'm like, uh, this is not good. I, I want to make it better, but I just don't have time. So I kind of have to move on to the next one. And maybe someday if I turn this into a book, I will probably make this like go through them and make them better. 
but uh, but I just have to let go of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, okay, I'm still writing for the future. Also, your readers, not necessarily right now, are not trying to also go back, right? They're also waiting for what you're writing next, and then at some point may want to go through the whole library. So. Right, but they do find a lot of the old stuff, and that's how they come to the newsletter, and so I'm always like, Ugh, that one could be so much better. <laughs> you're like, that was a different Lenny. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I'll say is, like, the good and bad of a newsletter is you have to ship it every week for me it's every week some people do daily which blows my mind and so you're kind of forced to get stuff out you can't just be too perfectionisty about it which is both good and bad but i find it valuable because yeah it just gets it out yeah i think i i can imagine it has sort of like the startup vibe where you're like uh don't let perfect be the enemy of good because we gotta go right um <laughs> So you wrote another edition uh, among a lot of them that really caught my eye because I thought about it in terms of our own community members at Common Room and at Uncommon, um, which was you talk about the most important bottom-up SaaS metrics to track. Um, you break metrics into two main groups, pre-revenue and post-revenue, and then you dive into different topics within them. So retention, which is in both pre and post, and then things like virality within an organization, which is specific to pre-revenue. Um, in this case, and then you break that down into invite rate, invite conversion rate, virality factor. Um, I'm going to get to the question now, which is basically uh, this really resonated with me because I have this persistent belief that building and supporting a thriving community does directly impact viral virality within an organization. Um, and this maybe gets to like that idea, right? It's like, how do you prove ROI? And something that we want to do here, right, is like build tools that allow people to actually map that to product adoption or retention or customer support so that they can get buy-in for a community. Um, what do you what do you think about that idea of of community being able to influence in a positive way virality within an organization? It's a really interesting and nuanced question. Uh, <laughs> I, I think about it a little differently. I think if, if the question, I guess, is like, what is the value of having a community around your product? Yeah, let's take I think, it. I think there's a lot of power in that group because they become evangelists of what you're doing and they want to tell their friends about it and they get like more and more uh, excited and deeper into what you're building. And so it becomes this just like group of people that want to tell everyone, wherever they go work, they want to tell about it, they want to tweet about it, they want to write about it. So I think, so I, I think that's virality between organizations even more so than within an organization because, but it works in both ways. Like, you know, if like, Jane is in a community around my product. She's going to tell her coworkers and she's going to tell her friends at other companies. So I guess there's benefit to both. It just, it, in general, yeah, I think community is an accelerant of virality, word of mouth. So yeah, I think you're totally right. Okay, Ooh, I'll take that. Um, when you're a part of a community, asking Lenny as Lenny, uh, or which are you a part of certain communities? And they can be like physical. We, I feel like so often now we're talking about like modern SaaS type of communities, but like my local library, I consider a community. Mm. So I'm wondering mm. if like when you're a part of a community, what do you look for in that physical or digital? And, um, and how, do, how do you know it's somewhere you want to be, especially now that you have, you know, hosted your own in many different ways and facets in your life? Does that like influence the way that you also are a part of them now? Interesting. Uh, I think it comes down to just are you getting some kind of value out of it, whether it's like business value, like answering questions I have and helping me get into, I don't know, grow a thing here and there. So I think it's like 
can I get that out of this community? Or can I contribute something that feels fulfilling because that's a different kind of value? And then if it's a social community, it's probably a different kind of value. Do I feel, does it make me feel good getting closer to these friends and and these people? Is it helping me learn something new? So I think so I think it always comes down to just, is there value am I, that I'm getting out of this thing? Which then comes to like, what value do I need? Like I'm in a bunch of discords and slacks and you know I never go there because I think it's because I just don't have a need and or they're not delivering on that need. So I think it's really important to think about what value are you delivering to your members and how do you accelerate that and grow that even more? Yeah, and then I wonder if you, if you think about it in terms of your own community, do you try to articulate that from the very beginning where you're like, welcome to Lenny's newsletter, this is what we, this is what we intend to deliver you? Or like, is there a way that communities should almost put their manifesto in the ground, right? So that people understand what they should expect when they go. I've thought a bit about that and I find, I find people don't read anything you tell them up front anyway. So I think that the thing that works best is just like the list of channels. I have like channels around talk product, talk growth, talk marketplaces, talk uh, random. And I think that communicates a lot about what this place is all about. Plus I think the newsletter like is a specific focus. So it innately brings a certain kind of crowd together. So I don't spend a lot of time setting those rules. I think I spend all the time on the stuff I talked about earlier, like help add a profile pic, introduce yourself, uh, promote yourself here, no cold DMs to like promote your stuff to people, that kind of thing, to make it like a place where it's sig high signal to noise and just feel high quality. When we ask community leaders in other Uncommon Conversations, if you're going to hire for your community team, what do you really look for? And they usually say empathy. Um, they say like, number one, like you can't be in a community and not understand that different people are coming from different perspectives, et cetera. But what's harder, right, is then to say, okay, what is, how do you either look for empathy or how do you screen for that? Or if someone wants to be empathetic, but is still learning, perhaps nurturing that skill in themselves, like um, what resources might they, might they go to? Um, so I'm wondering if you have any advice or anything that's helped you put yourself in someone else's shoes and like practice this idea of empathy. Oh, wow. I feel unworthy of this question, but I will try to give you an answer. Uh, I think what comes to mind is just to listen more, uh, just like stop talking and try to ask questions more. Maybe, I don't know, uh, eight, 80% ask and listen and 20% talk because I find that uh, it's hard to understand what the other person's going through if you're not letting them share. And so that's what I would suggest. Flash question, what's a book you're loving right now? Simply because I really admire this about you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to read and get through a book called The Anthropocene Reviewed, which I imagine you've heard of. I haven't. Uh, oh, wow, you're gonna love it. Oh my God. There's this yeah. guy, uh, John Green, I think is his name. He's got this awesome podcast and uh, he basically, uh, ranks regular things in, in life on a five-star scale, like yes. ginkgo trees and plagues and things like that. And he writes beautifully, and he has a podcast where he does the same thing, and uh, you will love it. Oh, man, I already do. I'm so excited. 
Um, and then one final question before we get to talking about un uncommon support, which is uh, when I had said like, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Lenny. Um, does anyone have questions on, on the Twitter sphere? And a gentleman named Ben Kehoe, who I used to work with um, as an AWS serverless hero, really what it came down to is responsibility in or for when you're hosting a community or as uh, someone who is producing a product and then these people are customers but also community members. Um, basically this idea around like what does it mean to be responsible? How does one think about responsibility to a community um, and or accountability within a community? And that's a, that's a meaty question that I think could be delved into for a long time, but I'm wondering if you have any specific thoughts around what you feel is like if you feel a certain responsibility toward your community. Oh, I absolutely do. Uh, I'd say as a company, I think there's like this, I don't know, dumb, dumbbell, barbell, barbell situation where I think if you, you're either better off not having a community or like actually putting real resources into making sure it goes well. Because I think the worst thing you can do is bring a lot of your customers and users together and not stay on top of that because it can lead to a lot of bad things for your company. For example, people just like, all agreeing something is wrong and just like, you know, collectively coming after you or leaving. Uh, and that's not something you want if you can avoid it. And so I think it's really important just as a business to stay on top of your community. Airbnb actually, we initially thought it'd be better not to moderate the community and just like let it be self-serve. And that was a bad idea. You want to, I find you have to be in there and can make sure conversation's healthy, people's issues, concerns are addressed, that kind of thing because uh, there's a lot of power in collective action of your community that you've brought together uh, against what you're building. Like it could turn into a bad situation. So uh, I find it really important to stay on top of what's going on and continue to pull it in the right direction. So I think it's less of responsibility to the community the way I think about it. It's more make sure you're uh, putting in the time to make sure it's going well. Yeah, that you're present. I, I think. It is fun having a spiky up and down investment in community is I, I would agree with you. It's like if you're going to invest in community, it has to be for the long term. You can't really I shouldn't say you can't. You could. But there's no graceful way to sunset a community. If you're like, eh, I don't like this feature. You're like, well, those are real people. Right. Uh, right. Once they get used to a way of interacting with the company and then you're like, no more. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard. Yeah. Well, thank you for thank you for fielding that question from Ben Kehoe. Uh, inspired by him. Um, so lastly, I'm super excited about Uncommon Support. I, I always say this, but it's important to us to embody what we believe, which is that community is strongest when it uplifts one another. And so we ask all of our experts to choose a nonprofit whose cause and mission you want to highlight, and then we donate in your honor. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us about the organization that you chose to dedicate your Uncommon Support to. I was thinking about this and um, so something I do uh, alongside the newsletter and communities, I have a job board where people post roles in tech jobs and I promote it in my newsletter and on Twitter and things like that. And uh, something I realized I could do that uh, uh, is, is funnel a piece of that revenue to nonprofits that train underrepresented young people on tech skills so that they can someday fill those roles. And it creates this really cool flywheel of very cool companies paying to post roles, which funds people learning those skills and then taking those jobs like over the long run. So every month I pick a different nonprofit to donate some of that revenue to. And so this month I'm donating to an organization called uh, slash dev slash color. 
or I don't know how you say it, deaf color probably. And what they do is they train uh, young, um, uh, I think boys, uh, boys, uh, people of color that are uh, boys, I think mostly, and they train them on tech skills. And so that's who I'm gonna be donating to this month. So let's donate to their, to that group also. Cool. Oh my gosh, I can't, I love learning about new nonprofits that I, I had not known about, or like, I mean, there's so many, there's so many people doing really cool stuff in physical communities for so people. Thank you for being here. Thank you. This was delightful. Mm -hmm.